You're listening to Foreseeable, a production of Globalization, the flagship digital platform of Singapore's Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. Each episode, we invite an expert for a conversation relating to their field of study or experience and to find out what they foresee happening in the future. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed the nature of education in ways that few other events could. Adopting technology to work, live, and learn from home while staying distant from others has affected millions. A recent installment of the Asia Thinker series, After the Pandemic, moderated by Associate Professor Susanna Kadir, Vice Dean of Academic Affairs at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy, discussed what is in store for education in the post-COVID-19 era. After the session, Globalization caught up with Associate Professor Susanna Kadir, as well as Associate Professor in Practice Francesco Mancini, Associate Dean of Executive Education Programs at the school. The first question is kind of targeted towards Francesco. And the question is, how will COVID-19 change adult education? And what specific skills should professionals in both educator and learning management tracks take up to adjust to this change? I, I guess that COVID-19 had a, a big disruptive effect on, on adult education. And to me, there are at least two components of it. One is what to teach, and the second is how you teach. So let's here focus on how you teach, which is you know, what we want professionals in both education and learning management tracks adapt to. And to me, because most of the disruption come through the online means, it requires a complete revision of, of pedagogy. And it's not just about adding a couple of apps or doing what you were doing in a classroom online, but it's really rethinking how people learn through the means of, of a screen and of, of a digital device. And specifically means one, that the way you deliver knowledge has to be much more segmented and contained. What used to be, let's say, 45 minutes lecture has now to become segments of 10 minutes things that people can absorb in stages. The second is that you need people to engage in multiple activities. You can't just focus on listening, uh, but you also have to engage in visually and then also in terms of the activities that you make them do, things that they can do offline and then come back. And finally, I think there is the big challenge of how you share uh, knowledge, you network knowledge through participants, which online requires a little more creativity on how to make that happen. And so all the kind of interaction that generally happens in a classroom can become a bit tedious online. But that's where the live online part comes in. And so the live online should not be about lecturing, should not about transferring knowledge, but should be more about engaging the participant and let them kind of grow. I just wanted to, to jump on uh, a term that Francesco used, which is uh, networked knowledge. I, I think what we are seeing in the education space now is a fundamental recognition that there is no single source of knowledge and that knowledge is spread out. And the role of the instructor or the teacher typically, which was always about conveying knowledge, actually increasingly is almost like a curator. And what that instructor or teacher does is to connect 
these different streams of knowledge. And uh, the learner is now really front and center in uh, connecting now all these different sort of sources of knowledge and they sort of flow out, right? So there's a connection that flows out from the center. So it's, act- it, it, it's actually, to me, fundamentally a, a, a very, very different approach to how we learn. Okay, and before we move on, that question was specifically about adult education, but it seems like it would apply to all education these days. Is that correct? My own sense is that actually that differentiation between what is core education versus what one gets exposed to in adult education is increasingly blurred. And so this idea of network learning or network knowledge applies in both sets, right? So, but within a, a sort of elementary uh, primary level, uh, I think the struggles that schools encounter is how do we provide that base learning? How do you move in the direction of that networking when those skill sets may not necessarily have been there from the start? The, the next question was um, about tech companies and how tech companies are coming out with their own educational content, you know, companies like Google and LinkedIn, et cetera, available for professionals. And uh, some educational institutions lament that the traditional academic cycle is too long and not adaptable to the fast-changing labor market. How do executive education courses offered by universities compete in this future learning climate? And uh, Francesca, you want to start on that? Yeah, this is not a very new trend. Companies have always tried to supplement education that comes out of the academia with content and skills that are more kind of fitting of their own cultural company culture. But obviously, there is an acceleration today, right? And, and the issue of, you know, how fast uh, things changes and how fast you need to adapt uh, your content to the new realities which makes, you know, companies much more flexible and, and then, you know, they can react to that. But with that said, it really depends what content are we talking about. So if we're talking about, you know, data analytics, I have no doubt that some of these companies can produce, you know, content uh, in a more effective way. But there are also a lot of set of soft skills that require a more sort of uh, cutting across different fields and different areas of knowledge. And for that, I think the academia are still well positioned because they have faculty that come from different walk of life and different uh, competencies area and are able like, to train people in a more comprehensive way. So at professional education and executive education, we don't really see tech companies as, as competitors, but actually as partners where we can actually work together to do precisely that. They bring in the technical competencies and we bring in the more kind of broader picture or more kind of behavioral kind of skills that are then required to thrive in a, in a working environment. I completely agree with Francesco. I, I think that the, the opportunity is for this collaboration between executive education with the tech companies in actually producing a, a way of learning or an exposure to knowledge that's quite up to date. And, and, and quite uh, novel. The challenge which the tech companies bring really to traditional uh, sort of approaches to education, the traditional institutions where the approach to learning is always based on building blocks and, and a certain sort of a, a disciplinary funnel, right? Taking over a very clearly demarcated time frame over several months and so on. The challenge that comes from the tech companies is essentially to upend that. But 
executive education actually uh, are much more similar in in the way that the tech companies approach learning. They, they they've always been responsive to what's out there in the label market, and in fact, if they can co- move forward in collaborating with the tech companies, they actually are in this opportune space to to come up with with quite a superior product, quite different from how traditional academic mm-hmm. institutions approach learning. Well, that's a good segue to the next question, which is what can institutions and educators like the Lee Kuan Yew School for Public Policy do to embrace this shift toward creating multiple pathways for students to pursue education? So at at the LKYSPP, we're, we're basically a graduate program. And for some time, we've been focused on a typical graduate program in public policy, for example, right? It's, it's quite clearly demarcated. It goes through very clear pathways in the students sort of learning the skill sets required so that by the time uh, it's, we, we reach the end of the two years, they would graduate, say, with a master's in public policy. But I think over the last five years, we've uh, thought through what creating multiple pathways might look like, right? And this is again in alignment with the larger approach that the National University of Singapore has taken, which is to bring in front and center the idea of what's known as lifelong education, right? Which is that education doesn't doesn't really uh, stop. It doesn't move necessarily from what is tertiary education and then it gets sort of uh, demarcated from what would be adult education that we will come back to, say, 10 or 20 years down the line. Actually, the the program that we are envisioning now is one in which we are approaching education as something that is continuous. So one doesn't leave learning at all, and it, it simply proceeds, right? So concretely, some of the multiple sort of pathways we envision would be having Uh, a a mixture within a single class, those who are on the full-time programs that have dedicated two years of their life to completing this program and graduating with a degree, as well as those who are learning in modular sort of bits and chunks and opening up the classroom such that we've got students that would mix within a single classroom. We're beginning to introduce even to our full-time programs this bite-sized approach to learning. So things are not, you know, dragged out over 13 weeks, but we've got causes very much in place now where you can complete the course over a span of one to two weeks. And, and in taking that course, you actually see a mixture of the different groups representing this different you know, sort of multiple pathways to learning. So it is actually trying to bring into uh, front and center into the life of the school um, and executive education type approaches and allowing that to coexist uh, and run alongside our full-time programs, which follow a traditional approach. Along those same lines, as the situation changes and there's more e-learning, How does the pedagogical supervision and monitoring have to change? You know, how can educators handle the grading and assessment beyond exams for online learning, making sure that, you know, it's equitable for the students and that they can include things like soft skills and class participation? 
this is where I think the collaboration with some of the advancements that are that, that have come forward through the tech companies have been really valuable. We are at a stage where doing assessments, doing exams can actually happen online. It is possible to submit assignments entirely online. Uh, you can even have exams with e-proctoring that's done. But if we are talking about the interaction element, I think these are things that we'll have to build into the course design. And again, there are already apps out there which allow for us to include certain soft skills like presentations. We can look at monitoring class participation within a lesson that's conducted via Zoom, for example, right? There are, in fact, uh, quite a number of apps out there that enable you to upload presentations and allow um, the instructor to grade those presentations. So here, it, it, we are, in fact, seeing you know, some, some sort of great developments in terms of apps apps and software, which allow us to actually already begin to build this into that e-learning space and uh, create a robust sort of learning environment, no less robust than what you would have in a typical classroom, in a typical traditional classroom. During this shift, how do you include the voice of the student and their perspective as it affects their educational journey? How, how is the student incorporated? In a typically well-designed e-learning module or online module, one of the key things we have to bear in mind is the needed space that must be built into a typical uh, online module where we are actually aligning expectations about how that module is going to evolve. And during this space is when the views of the students how they understand what the module objectives are, how they are actually going to uh, learn in this module. Online learning allows us to create this space so that both the instructor as well as the students actually come together to learn in that same space. And this is where the voices of students become quite important. So it can actually be built in very nicely into a typical module. The first few weeks of classes often incorporate students as well as the instructor learning to realign their expectations of that same module so that ultimately we get to the end goal of learning at the end together, right? So those everybody's voices gets properly heard and accommodated for. Uh, and, and my own experience has been in online learning that's become a lot more possible now. The apps that we are using, which uh, capture this, are so much more advanced than what I would have encountered, you know, sort of five years ago. So it's actually a fundamental journey that both the students and the instructor uh, go on together. That also brings us to the next set of questions, which are directed to both Francesco and Susanna. The first one you've talked about a bit, but the, the question specifically about the role that employers have in reimagining education and how they can be brought into the conversation with what educational institutions are doing in terms of curriculum review, rethinking pedagogy, and learning design. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit more? The reality is that I think we're going to a direction of a more customized learning experience where you have this interaction between educational institutions and uh, professional you know, institutions 
that are designing content based on, on the needs. This is, by the way, already happening. In executive education, most of the programs are actually customized. They're the other than the most successful ones, where clients come to us and says, I have these particular needs. I don't know what I need to get to that goal, but you as an academic institution have a sense. And so you develop the content based on my educational goals. And that is the kind of conversation that I think will happen more and more, precisely because those educational goals might continue to evolve. Uh, and so the demand is in a constant evolution and we'll have to, uh, 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 a need from the, from the supply side, from the academia, to kind of interact very closely with, with the world of employers. So one of the things when we talk about education in the future or when we reimagine what education will look like, I think I'll, I'll hop back on this, on this fundamental point about our traditional approach to education as being fairly top-down, defined by a group of, of, of experts who, and only the experts know the content and, and know what students need to learn. I think that approach to education is, has been completely disrupted, right? What we are looking at for the future is one in which the, the different actors or stakeholders are, are fundamentally part of that picture. So knowledge itself is dissipated. It's, it's, it's network knowledge, as I mentioned earlier. It's found in different places. And, and the role of the instructor often is to bring that together. It's almost like a curator. Uh, a key part of this picture is actually what the market is looking for, what the employers need. And they need to be brought into letting the student and the instructor know what What's out there in terms of the demand, right? Yeah, that's actually a very dramatic shift on the way I think academia has to think about education, moving from sort of gatekeepers of knowledge to more highways in which they, you know, they kind of prepare the journey, right? But on the highways, there are different vehicles going on. And, and, and that's kind of really cultural shift I think has to happen. The analogy of the highway is a good one. This next question, again, it's a bit redundant. On We've talked about it a bit, but the question is how are assessments, whether for academic studies or executive education courses, going to differ with an increased use of technology and the decrease of physical interaction? Do you want to touch on that and elaborate a bit more? We are a little less concerned about assessment and more about impact. And what I mean by that is... Yeah. We're, we're not necessarily testing if the person remembers the, the three steps to something. It's more in terms of, can you implement what you just learned? And if that's so, can I actually help you through that process? And what I mean by that is the assessment might be more diluted over time. And so you might take your course, mm -hmm. you learn something, and then you go back to your working uh, environment and you might continue to stay anchored to the academia, maybe with a sort of coaching kind of environment in which you are supported to actually implement a particular project or actually do certain things. And so this interaction between curators, instructors, and coaching, it's where I see the evolution of assessment, where again, we're primarily focusing on how you utilize the knowledge that you learned rather than just checking. And this is obviously particularly mm -hmm. uh, for adult education. I mean, that's all a different conversation when it comes to primary or tertiary education. But in adult education, we are already not necessarily assessing 
but we're primarily helping people to transform what they learn into things that are useful for their own professional life. The last question here, I think, is a, a good one. Uh, and ask both of you to kind of look to the future and how you would reimagine the purpose of education and skills learning, they say 20 years down the line, if AI and robots replace the human workforce. How do you think education will be different? So obviously, it's very hard to, to, to look at technology and think 20 years, right? Because, you know, uh, even three years ago, we didn't know what was going to happen today. But uh, looking at, at this issue now, my sense is to uh, stop this idea that, you know, human workforce need to compete with machines because there are certain functions that a machine will always do better than me. And I hope that one day we will have a machine, for example, that is able to grade papers better than me. It's a painful experience to go through 55 papers, right? And you want to have actually an artificial intelligence that is able to do that. Where... I think we need to focus is making those machines more human. And what I mean by that is Mm. to valorize what is the human value added. And the human value added in education, to me, it's what machine cannot replicate, which is serendipity, which is that Mm -hmm. human instinct of picking up the right question from a student that can trigger a thought that goes into a direction of talking about something in a classroom that will trigger another question and so on. And a lot of the conversations that happen in a classroom are not planned, really. They might be within a certain framework that an instructor needs to set up, and that's the skill. But it's about creating that environment in which students are interacting and you are the conductor of that interaction. That I can't see sitting right now here in 2020 be done by a machine. And I think that's where humans have a value added. And at the end of the day, I imagine a school which paradoxically will look more like those paintings in the Renaissance where you see Plato uh, walking around with a lot of people. You don't see anybody sitting on a desk. That's the original kind of sense of the education because it's an interaction and I think that would be very hard to be replicated mm-hmm. by a machine. And that's where I think we all, as humans, need to get better because that is our competitive advantage over AI. You know, I agree with everything that, that Francesco has said. You know, it's on, the, on this question of robots and, and AI, right, it's, it's not even a question of if, but really a, a question of, of when. And the technology is moving so fast that we are playing catch up in many ways. As we move uh, along on sort of the, the, the learning timeline, right, or uh, the learning timeline, if we, can, if we can envision for a single person, would be we begin with the general the basics, and then we begin to expand our knowledge, and then it starts to funnel into very specialized areas, right? So we gain a speciality, we gain a, a, a sort of a strength in a particular discipline, which enables us then to have the kind of knowledge plus skill sets very specific to do that discipline before we go on out into the workforce to occupy that space. So we all come out in many ways as that special. Right, the development of of robots and AI has has upended that. The idea of developing certain skill sets within a particular disciplinary track, emerging as specialists in that particular area, is no longer relevant because, in fact, there's AI and robots that can 
essentially do the job, right? What I think is important is actually to recreate or reimagine education in which these humanistic aspects are actually what's at the front and center, right? So in many ways, we've gone back to what it was years and years ago. It is about reasoning, critical thinking, critical analysis, things which cannot get replicated by those robots and, and by those you know, drastic developments in AI. Okay, very good. I think that's a, a good place to end it, actually. That's a, kind of a nice summation. Oh, thank you. All right, great. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you'd like to subscribe to the Globalization newsletter, look for the link in the description or find us on Facebook at Global is Asian.